Last week on the Lords of Grantham podcast, we talked the season two premiere of The Gilded Age. A lot happened in that episode, uh, chiefly that Bertha Russell wants a box at the opera, and she's not getting one at the Academy because of Miss Astor, so she's going to invest in the Met, and if that means running down Miss Astor in the Academy, that's what's going to happen. Uh, there was also some strikes with the Lord Railway, uh, Peggy, she's deciding to go back to work uh, back on the Upper East Side, and Marion, she's talking to a guy named Dashiell, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So let's get to it this week on the Lords of Grantham Podcast. Let's make love tonight. Back again, Gilded Age, Season 2, Episode 2. What kind of tricks are you up to this week, Corey? So many, Dave. I am so hyped to talk about this episode with you, man. This is... We're so back. (laughs) We are so back with the Gilded Age, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I, There's a lot lot to sink your teeth into here. Julian, he's throwing us curveballs. Absolutely. This is like, if you felt things were somewhat lacking last week... This is exactly what we needed. This is the fix. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd give you updates on other stuff going on, but really, there's not that much going on in the worlds of Poldark or The Crown or Bridgerton. There, the Down Abbey exhibit is in Chicago, and I will be in Chicago next week with Time to Kill, and so, who knows, maybe I'll just wander over and just check it out. <laughs> check it out again. Maybe they've changed it. There's two movies worth of stuff. Yeah, who knows? Uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm curious about. But you know, if anyone has recommenda- recommendations of things to do in Chicago instead of the Down Abbey exhibit for the second time, I'm, I'm open to them. Well, I will say, if you're in Chicago and you're near it, it's about to be the holiday season. I think the Lords of Grantham can use some Down Abbey licensed merch to do a giveaway or something, just in time for the holidays. So it might be worth it just to Snack grab some, some tea us. towels or something like that. I don't it's know. A giveaway. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, last week we ran long in this episode. We were talking for over an hour, so maybe it's for the best that we we cut to the chase on the Gilded Age, unless you have something else, Dave, to talk about. <laughs> I, we, we just filibuster, and all of our new <laughs> listeners, or all of our Gilded Age Fairweather fans, they're like, "Oh God, we didn't listen to the pulled dark coverage because of the way they talked," and now they're going on and on. No, let's not let's not beat around the bush. Let's get right into it. This is a some sort of trick. Yep, episode two of season two of the Gilded Age, and, and I, I, is this is I wonder what the timing on this episode was intended that we have plot points that involve the words trick and plot points that involve the word treat, but we are the week after Halloween. Well, I mean, if they were to be believed, at one point Nathan Lane saying was saying the show was going to launch on nine eleven, so I don't know if they're planning that far ahead. <laughs> uh, so. No, they missed it though. <laughs> they they missed it. If there was ever going to be any coincidence there, it it is a very strange happening that both of those phrases that are not typical phrases get uttered. Trick, or treat. <laughs> trick and treat separately within the same episode, released days after Halloween. But it, yeah, it is called some sort of trick. And Dave, I know you are dying just to talk about the interaction between Bannister and Church, aren't you? Yeah, water under the bridge, right? Is that how we're starting it? <laughs> the lowest hanging fruit we can talk about to kick off this episode. <laughs> yeah, I so, mean, they, they meet, 
outside. Random well, scene. Some some Van- like Bannister like walks away. over. Yeah. So he goes out of his way to see Church. This isn't like mm-hmm. a bumping into each other. And these are both the heads of their respective, uh, you know, downstairs for the Van Ryans and, and the Russells. And as we may recall from last year, they had a bit of a kerfuffle where uh, Church pretty much tried to get Bannister fired. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I forget the exact trickery that he was up to. <laughs> was that because uh, uh, the Russells hired Bannister to do their uh, a dinner or a luncheon with them? That's Yes, because they wanted someone with uh, some professional background there. And so, yeah, he, he let them know that and... Church pleads with them this episode to say, "Come on, man, let, let, let's move on." But Bannister reminds him, "Dude, you almost cost me my jur- job." <laughs> uh, God forgives, God, I don't. Yeah, God forgives. I was about to say that, Rick Ross. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, keep that in mind, Mister Church. Do you think there will be some follow up on this, Dave, or is this a throwaway scene in the middle of? This an is episode? not a throwaway scene. I think if okay. we're learning anything, that Julian Julian does not know what a throwaway scene is. Everything has something. No. No, and the funny thing is with him, with Julian, when he leaves a breadcrumb, it's really not a breadcrumb. It's like he takes like a, a slice. loaf of bread. Yeah, he just takes a whole slice of bread. It's the it's heel. Like just, it's like you don't want it. Yeah. But if you <laughs> have nothing left this. in the fridge and you want to have a PB&J, you'll use it. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not too, you know, really gung-ho for another Bannister and Church storyline, but sure. We'll, we'll nibble on the, the end of the bread that uh, Julian is giving us. Yeah, yeah. And that's really all so, that, I mean, Church winds up in Newport by the end of the episode. And, and let's really keep working that. our way up the chain. If Jack, Jack Trotter? Heavy, yeah, if people want to, talk, uh, want to talk about the heavy hitter stuff early, let us know. But we're going to keep working our way up the chain. That's just how we do. Yeah, you don't you don't put Stone Cold and The Rock on the first match at WrestleMania. That's the main event. we got to save the main events for the main events. Absolutely. And so by that measure, what you're saying, Dave, Trotter. Jack Treacher? Or no, John tried. <laughs> Jack, well, they got me. Jack and John is a, is an acceptable mix-up. Flim flam. Yeah, yeah. That's a nickname situation. Mm-hmm. But Trotter and Treasure, I was asked uh, whether or not I thought that that was some sort of deception subplot going on on the DL. I said no. And I literally read so many reviews last week about the premiere, and not a single soul caught that. <laughs> His what name is, is yeah. Just, and Change. and it's not even not even like one of those situations where his name has been changed and if they don't address it, it's kind of like uh, you know in a soap opera when you recast somebody, you're like now doing this, where it's just like IMDb does it. No, it's like he emphatically calls himself Jack Trotter. <laughs> yeah, and don't they call him John this week on the episode? Yeah, well, John and Jack are synonymous. Yeah, They're awesome. nicknames. Okay, but he's. He's with that girl across the street, or he's got the still got the hots for that Adelaide, Adelaide. Uh, and please, I, I implore you all to look up how they spell Adelaide on the show. It will blow your mind. Uh, <laughs> well, you're, you're you're bearing the lead, Dave. It's that Jack Trotta uh, woke up too late for work. <laughs> oh yeah, morning. geez, I'm sorry, I buried that lead. <laughs> it's because his alarm clock didn't go off, and then. That spurs the rest of the staff to say, man, my alarm clock doesn't work that great either. And we catch him later this episode toying around with his alarm clock, trying to figure out how it works. It's, it's like a, a pull it down equivalent. He's like, one. 
Mm-hmm. He's making moves. He's he's tinkering and learning new skills. So does this result in Jack Trotter becoming a mechanic and finding a way out of the under, under uh, downstairs, or does he become the guy who reinvents the alarm clock? Wouldn't it be funny if there was some real life like Trotter brand alarm clock, and that's the reason Julian <laughs> pivoted and changed his name? I'm not going to lie, Dave. I, I did do research on alarm clocks today just to see if Julian was trying to t- tie this into any kind of history. There's nothing I can find of note from the late 1800s about <laughs> alarm clocks uh, going through a renaissance or anything like that. So I, d- I don't believe it's going to tie into that. And spoiler alert, if all you were hoping that John Trotter's, uh, Jack Trotter's uh, storyline would tie into alarm clocks. Um, as you were saying, though, Dave, he still has eyes for Adelaide. Adelaide confides him, I messed up. I, I put the wrong, I didn't store the dress for this trip that Miss Russell's going on. And he's like, doesn't matter. <laughs> and she's like, you want to get this coffee again? Sure. Sure. See you when you get back. <laughs> and this scene sticks out like a sore thumb because his accent's okay, but compared with Adelaide, the energy that she's giving is absolutely not the 19th century. She is so just nervy in a way that does not scream like old <laughs> it, it feels very modern her performance yeah it's like a little less of a less less uh what's the word i'm looking for kind of like daisy from downton abbey but not quite turned up as as loud mm-hmm. yeah. she's a little naive she's really trying to prove herself and prove her worth and that and but she's not like daisy where it's grading because even right. fans of Daisy, I think, will admit she can be grading. Although I do like the storyline here that if she is a Daisy adjacent, the fact that she's supposed to be the handmaiden to Bertha Russell is like, imagine if Daisy was working with Cora. Oh, Gladys Russell, right? <laughs> she's Yeah, Gladys, I'm sorry. Yeah. Imagine if Daisy had to work with Lady Mary, how that would have gone. Let, well, she would be the Ivy in this story because Bridget is the Daisy. Sorry, uh, non down uh, viewers. We, we're d- going deep in the names there. Um, but yes, Dave, you're correct. Well, Dave, I think there's no doubt in fans that don't know Daisy and Ivy. I think pe- people can forget Ivy. She's forgettable. She, she's tall Daisy, for those that might have forgotten. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this, is, but, this really is, is just a pl- another placeholder scene, sort of like Church and Bannister. Mm-hmm. Like, just to let you to know... Bridget Bridget says something like, "Are oh, you still talking to her, or is it Bauer?" Someone asks her, asks Trotter if yeah. he's going to see her, and he's like, "Well, yeah, I like her. What do you expect me to do?" <laughs> Meanwhile, Bridget's enjoying playing a card game, and she's like, "Can't you see I'm right here, man? I'm like the better version of here. I'm right here. I'm not nervous. <laughs> I'm sure of myself." She didn't want him. He didn't. They go out, and she didn't. She said no. It's we're, it's classic Daisy. It's because he he changed his name. That's what that's yeah. what it was. <laughs> She's like, I would marry a treacher, not a trotter. Not going to trot. She's too hot to trot. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay. Working our way up. I think we could talk about Peggy, right? Yeah, Peggy's Peggy's a, a solid, solid episode for Peggy. W- uh, one pause, though. No yeah. Monsieur Bourdain this episode. Did you see him I know. No. What's going on there? Not that many of the downstairs in the van or the Russell house this week. Just sort of. We've got one. We got one, but we'll get to that after this one. We have Adelaide. We have, um, not Watson. Well, yes, Watson, and our main man who already said Church or Bannon. Bannon. Yeah, no, Church is across the street. Okay. Okay. So let's get into Peggy. 
Peggy wants to come she, back. She wants to come back. We knew this and, last week. And, and it's not we like see, Agnes... Agnes and Ada aren't really prying for news either. They're not really dying to find out what Well, they seem is. to already know. It seems like everybody already knows. Yeah. She so they're like, oh, we would love to have her back. It's so sad what happened. And they're like, is there anything you want to tell us, Mary? And Marion's like, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, Peggy's only estranged from her family now. That's all, you know. Well, we see Peggy goes and talks to her father at the, the, yeah. the druggist. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, they have a nice little exchange. I think I feel comfortable with where they have ended things. Yeah, Arthur, yet again this week, is just like, I'm really trying my best here, Peggy. I know I messed up. You know, I'll give you money. What do you need from me? And she just says, I need space from you, Daddy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, take space and a handful of cash. <laughs> yeah, just take this and, 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 you know, enjoy yourself. Uh, so that's that. She yeah. goes back. Mm-hmm. And we see a scene where Agnes is getting ready for bed with Armstrong. And Agnes says to Armstrong, hey, Peggy Scott's coming back. She's going to be in our old room. Business is back as usual. And Armstrong immediately gets on the defensive. Oh, yeah. And uh, this as, is... As uh, we, we know from last year, she was... Very dismissive towards Peggy. Uh, really just trying to make her look bad with her work. Mm-hmm. And that, that, trying to say that that would threaten the, the well-being of the house. Yeah, it reflected poorly on Armstrong. Because it's like, why do you got to be so racist up here, you piece mm-hmm. of trash? Uh, and, and in no uncertain terms, Agnes is saying, like, no, you're going to be courteous to her. And that, that's, like, not a command. That's You are just going to do that or... There's a door. Oh, it's a it's a it, it is a great you know like I think uh, there's I, I saw a lot of complaints not complaints but uh, criticisms observations that Agnes is kind of uh, stagnant as far mm. as being a character is concerned and this is a great scene where Armstrong is like yeah but her she's never going to stop writing and Agnes is yeah. like don't worry about that and basically Armstrong does not stop trying to to talk ill of Peggy to Agnes. Like, what about this? What if she starts something with me? What if she says something to me? And Agnes Agnes says, she, or she says, if, if you do start trouble with with Peggy, I'll fire you. I'll send you, send you to the unemployment line. And Armstrong's like, well, why are you, you know, she starts putting the blame on Agnes. Like, what will I do? What am I supposed to do if I'm fired and without a job? And, and Agnes says, your fate is in your hands. Yeah. I mean, credit to Deborah Monk, who plays Armstrong. She is so, she really sells the drama of this, the terror that, mm-hmm. you know, a woman of her age, if she were to be put out of work, realistically, she's going to struggle to find work at that age. And that's the thing is, A, she's absolutely a flawed, bad person, Armstrong. But it really does convey how much power Agnes still wields and the way she could just literally almost end a person's life if she wants to just because mm-hmm. they're doing their job. It's, it's harrowing to, to see, actually, for, for that brief moment. Yeah, but at the and, same time, Armstrong is way overstepping her boundaries. Sure, she is trash. Not, not denying that at all. Um, but do you think Armstrong would learn from that? Mm. Old habits die hard, unfortunately. Because uh, now she's backloaded with a bunch of work because... Agnes is just going to put her to work right now. Well, Ada she's, she's, is putting her to work. She has to sew a lot for Ada. Oh, apologies. 
Ada. And she goes downstairs huffing and puffing and, you know, Peggy's there. She's suddenly back regaling stories of where she's been, what she's been up to, to the staff. And she's like, I can help you with the sewing. Yeah. And she's but, like, no. Nope. But Bridget, you can. And Bridget's more than happy to be like, sure. Okay. Yep. But, and then uh, we cut to later. She goes, Bridget, you got to help me with that work. And then Peggy comes in and is done. Yeah. And she goes, Bridget asked me for help. How does that make you feel, Armstrong? Mm-hmm. And Armstrong, you know, she's like, thank you. A very forced thank you that she, she's asked to give. And what is this? She says to her, like, surprised you're allowed back in this house. Uh, and Peggy reminds her, like, I don't have any quarrel with you, but I promise you don't want one with me. I'm Peggy Scott. I'm, I'm, I'm me. And she also does have a scene with, uh, you know, that that I, I think there's leaving a lot on the table there. I think these two are going to be. I do think Armstrong is going to be an antagonist for real, mm-hmm. and you know, an, another bump in the road for Peggy. Yeah. But good news for Peggy but, is she's we get to see our boy TTF Tom, T T Thomas, Thomas Fortune. Fortune, the newsman. It, and it's unfortunate that he's a real person because they have real romantic chemistry, I feel. And mm-hmm. they, they are just radiating when they're talking to each other. Uh, but, yeah, he's like, yeah, you can kind of get some work. You know, you, you did some good some good pieces. And uh, shame you have to travel so far. And she's like, no, 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 I'm working in the area again. It ain't that far for me to get here. I don't have to come from Brooklyn. Let's write. Yeah, and then he's like, why? And it's <laughs> like, oh, because of... Uh... Because I don't want to be around my family. And then it seems like T. Thomas is mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry for what you went through. You know, it seems like everybody already knows Peggy's trauma. Yeah. Whereas I think at the end of last season, it's like this is a, a piece of information that could threaten her good name. And now it's just like, no, just no, everyone's everyone's very human about it. You know, really unfortunate and sad what you went through. But do you think such that's is Marion? Marion just starts spreading the news everywhere, just trying to get Peggy back in town. She's like, hey, y'all, yeah. guess what she went through? That would, Marion yeah. would do that, too. Because she's a, she's a flabbermouth. Uh, flabber Is that the right word? She a blabbermouth? She's a blabbermouth. There we go. A flowermouth. Okay. I said flabbermouth. But, you oh, know, I thought you I said just... flower over here. The auto-craptions over on uh, <laughs> yeah, my brain. <laughs> yeah, It's a yeah. Monday night, people. We're trying to record early for all of you Gilded Age I heads. just had... Two hours of Korean class, man. Everything is foreign to me right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on, on because I feel like Peggy, great movement, great forward momentum. Uh, mm-hmm. Where well, else do we want to go? To Watson, man. Let's talk about the rest of the downstairs. He's the last one. Yeah. So McNeil Mr. comes McNeil. over. Mm-hmm. And he says, I want to meet uh, Collier. Yeah. Collier. And, and Charge is like, I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> he um, says, "You, the ball guy. It, it's funny, too, because last week, watching the season recap leading into the premiere episode, they reference Watson as Collier. And then for the rest of the episode, they don't refer to him as Collier. They call him Watson. So it's like, you got to do some mental math to get back to like, oh, right. Okay, so his name is Collier. Uh, so there's that, more than one character with a fake name. In this house. Yes. So, yes. He, oh, you mean Mr. Watson, the valet. Okay. 
you want to leave a message? And as he's about to leave a message, George Russell walks in. He's like, what's he's up, like, McNeil? You got something you want to talk about? You want to go hang? And McNeil want to, tries want to get out of it. Want whiskey? McNeil says, like, I don't have much to share. I just need to leave a message with Watson. And he's like, and what's he, the message? And they're like, I'm not telling you the message. You want to leave a note? No. Come on in. George is very pushy, I'm finding. <laughs> yes. Which tracks. Uh, so, yeah, they go inside, and he says... No, I have a message to leave with them. Okay, I'm going to go now. McNeil, is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Church you know, does I'll... warn uh, George that he may want to poach him, but that's not the case. That's all he yeah. lets George know. Yeah, and then we find out, or rather, we see that McNeil, or not McNeil, our well, McNeil man. does tell Church the, the deal. Or no, no, Church Watson talks does. to, yeah, Church talks to Watson. And, they, and we find out that the social consequence it would basically destroy the McNeils if they found out that Mrs. McNeil's father is is a valet for George Russell. As mm-hmm. as is said in the, this episode, they they could never entertain if people found out that her father dressed George Russell. Yeah, and they pretty much leave it there. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, George is aware of it, so you know he's going to keep in, uh, some tabs on Watson at some point. It's going to be something, some interaction between George and Watson where he's going to side-eye him, and then it's going to lead to something, I bet you. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, we need we'll, to... There's still so much of this onion, so many layers to to discover that I, I think we'll find out more of how Watson became Watson. Yes, 100%. Um... So I think that covers the downstairs. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about George and the railroads, because that's another side plot. That's a quick one. He says his man, who's this guy? What's this guy's name? This old man. I think it is just old man. Is it uh, the actor Dick and Matthews? That he sounds like? No, no, Richard Clay, isn't it? Is the character. You t- uh, hey, I, I, I didn't write down his name, but it's his man that we met last week. At the meeting, these guys that hate the unions, they talk mm. of a union down in Pittsburgh, or the union in Chicago where, yeah, it is, uh, It is. you are correct, Corey, it is Richard, Richard Clay. Clay. Yeah. Um, they, they talk about 2,000 workers up and started a strike in Chicago. And they say in Pittsburgh, where their operation is based, there's not really that number, but the union mm. leader... Is, is very much the kind of person that could pull that kind of stunt. Bill Henderson. Uh-huh. So we send Clay down to Pittsburgh. And I think we're going to go to Pittsburgh with him, but no. He just comes back. He's like, hey, bro, <laughs> been in Pittsburgh. And I got something he, to tell you. He ain't moving. Yeah. He ain't He ain't changing his opinion. I tried Clever. to pay. Well, George, and George is also like, Promise him a promotion, offer him some money, and he's like, "You mean oh, he's like, to- going total million dollar man? Like every man has a price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we'll put him in the Brunswick in a suite, and we'll have lunch with him. I'll, I'll have lunch with him, uh, just me and him, mano a mano." No, he says, "Invite him to my house." All oh, right, welcome to my house. <laughs> if he's uh, a million dollar man, I guess Richard Clay would be Erwin R. Scheister for the wrestling fans in the world. 
he would be his money man saying, "All you know, I'm coming for you, union boys. Always pay your dues and your taxes." Yep, the IRS man for him. But that's uh, really so yeah. that. We're, well, I'm sure we'll be meeting that man next week, knowing how this season is moving at a breakneck pace. Yep, absolutely. And still not tipping their their hand on which way George will fall in this whole discussion here. You know, he hates unions. I don't know how he, you're gonna. You, he does hate unions. You're really gonna need to do a lot of work, and and knowing Julian because he seems to make want us to like George, and Bertha. But George is an undeniable robber baron, and mm-hmm. you, I don't think you're gonna make him convincingly just say that like, oh, I'm done. I'm 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 cool with the unions so yeah. easily. Yeah, we'll see where that uh, runaway train is going. Um, moving our way up the chain, though. Reverend Wanna Forte about- is making house calls. Who? Reverend Forte. Ever heard oh, of sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Pretty quick. He's Our just man making house. house calls, man. Well, I mean, that's what yeah. priests do. Quote on, no, no pun intended, by the way, with house calls uh, with uh, what's his name from house. Uh, but yeah, we learned his whole backstory. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very kind of clumsily uh, laid out there. Like, oh yeah, well, my family there came over here in 1794 after seeing Europe up in flames and the French Revolution. We're Catholic, married an Episcopalian. They escaped the Vicar of Rome. It's like, I know more about Riven Forte than about... T. Thomas Fortune, like, or or uh, Church or Bannister or any of them. It's like I don't need to know this about Forte, but okay. But a- the point being, uh, Ada is infatuated with this man. She can't stop asking him questions. He's not married, by the way. Dude, yeah, and they make they make a point that the clergy can be married to help them burden or you know like help them handle the load of being a man of the Lord, the uh, a man of the cloth. Yes, man of the cloth, and uh, and. Very pleasant, but sort of just sort of info dump of a conversation about who this guy is. Father and mother are dead. Uh, yep. He just hasn't been lucky. And he has a sermon at six. There you go. He's like, I, I got to go do this. And Ada's like, oh, we got to go someday. And Agnes is like, yeah, we'll see about that. But I do like that they call out Ada like to her face. Yeah, we couldn't get a word in edgewise. You've just been running the, the show here. It seems, seems a little suspect. Uh-huh. Know. Well, that's but, all we get for that. <laughs> I like it. I want to. I want to see Ada, uh, Ada get saucy. I mean, if anyone's watched uh, and just like that or Sex in the City, you got a whole you know bit of Miranda that you can bring into this character here that they should lean into. So mm-hmm. I'm all here for it. Yeah, I, I have not seen those, but yes, I think Ada deserves more. She's vibrant, and I think they make her like a kooky spinster. When yeah. she's definitely not that, in my my read of her. Yep, Cynthia Nixon brings a lot to the table there. Yeah, so where do we want to go well, from here? You want to talk about Oscar? Talk about, yeah, let's talk about Oscar. So Oscar has written a letter to our man, George. Mm-hmm. And George... The episode starts with George going into Gladys's room. Gladys does not want to go to Newport, and we see that Bertha's screaming about it. Mm-hmm. George goes into Bertha's room. George goes into Gladys's room and says, "Like, hey, I, I heard about this thing with uh, with Oscar. He wrote me a letter. Yep. You want to marry this guy?" And she's like, "I want to get out of here." And he's like, "I want you. Do you love him?" 
And she's like, eh. He's, yeah. He will inherit the house across the street. He's got money. He's got status. That's enough. And George goes, I want a love wedding. I yeah. love union for you. He wants a man to love her down. Uh, and just do it right. Not just a guy like Oscar Van Ryan. He's just... It's a marriage of circumstance more than anything. He can see right through it. Just because the uh-huh. guy's a neighbor. And he, he he looks older. No one ever says this in the show. and the, But the truth is, the man looks a little old for her. I mean, this is like an episode where not one, not two, but three characters are involved in, in too old for you situations. And Gladys is the one that shakes it the most effortlessly. Yep. Because but George she, says, look, your mom might hate whatever you do, but if you're marrying for love... You have my support, and I will have your back against your mother. So, by the way, I'm going to tell George Russell to kick kick rocks. Oh, man. And the scene, you, you have a sense, like, how would this go down? Because George is no nonsense, and then that's exactly what it is with Oscar. He it's just dresses him down. It's sad how... how mm-hmm. Oh, no, I didn't find it sad at all. I found it, like, thrilling. Because, <laughs> uh, like... I, I don't really care for the character of Oscar. He, he's very much just doing everything for the wrong reasons, even though it's a matter of the age that he's in. But I'm glad that George calls him for what he is. The, 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 the joke being that he's going to let him down easy is what he tells Gladys, and uh-huh. he just, just does not let him down easy at all. <laughs> that he's like, you know, under no circumstances are you going to marry, marry my daughter. I don't care he's, if she finds Yeah, the first thing he's like, I know, I saw, I know you want to marry my daughter. The answer is no. And mm-hmm. Oscar's like, I brought papers, bro. I brought my resume. I brought my financials. George is like, she don't love you. You don't love her, regardless of what you say. That's it. That's all. Get out. You're fired. The fact that you had to bring a dossier to prove your love. Come on, bro. Well, I think that's the, the, also a, a thing of the time. You've, yeah. Prove his value. So. Uh, but, but then, uh, you know, so the rest of the episode goes on. Gladys is hovering in the background. Mm-hmm. And... We're go to this tennis match in Newport. Yep. And we meet a new mysterious woman that seems to be a nice little out for jo- Oscar potentially. Oh yeah, this is at the very end of the episode. This is uh-huh. uh what's what's her name? I wrote it down. I did uh, not write it down because so much happened. Mod Beaton. Mod Beaton. She's from the Drexels. She's been living in Paris, uh and that was uh, because her parents had passed away, so she was there to get away from them. Uh, her mother, at least, had died. And they have a nice exchange about you know living in Paris, and everything's great except for the Parisians. Ha, ha, ha. Because as we know, Julian really does not like the French and likes to make fun of the French any chance he gets. And even if that was true at the time, I truly believe Julian does not like the French. Uh, <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, she has a great deal of money. She's a nice woman. And, yeah, Oscar is talking Just to her. Just what he face. needed. <laughs> Yeah, he's clicking his heels, telling Aurora Fane, I think I met the girl that is the one for me. And she says, well, you got to have a heart. And he says, I'm all heart, baby. I'm all heart. It's gay. (laughs) But it's all... (laughs) It's all from my being Do you think Oscar would benefit from one character knowing he's gay? Because I feel like one thing about Tom Barrow... Well, aside from John Adams. Like, I feel like in Downton Abbey... The fact that Barrow has O'Brien to sort of, yeah, you know, like he can he can be like, well, this is me, you know, he can he can have someone to vent to. Oscar doesn't <laughs> have anybody to vent to. But, 
But who would be the person to carry that secret of Oscar? Knowing Julian, it would be like Marion. It would be self-righteous. Right. I have your back. My my imagination immediately went to for no reason at all. Just Monsieur Bourdain. <laughs> just knowing. Just across that. the street, like, oh, <laughs> not a good idea. So you got to right. But he doesn't talk like that anymore. He has that weird witch tie. says, oh, you're gay. Oh, oh how are you now? I just went to Fargo, but it's fine. It's just pick the most random character to know Oscar Van Ryan's deepest, darkest secret. Oh, it should be Jack Trotter. Trotter. <laughs> you telling me you like boys? I don't know about that. I got to work on my alarm clock. I like that here Here I am trying to make a point of how it would make Oscar a more well-rounded character to have a... a, a Someone to talk to, and we're like, let's find the guy with the funniest voice of the whole show. <laughs> Sorry, we got just we got a handful of one star reviews for this, this exchange. It would just add to the drama of Oscar's plight that the only person he can talk to are these people with fake names and accents on the show. Try, yeah, it's all. I mean, in fairness, that would be a nice little society of of characters of all liars: Watson, Walden, Oscar. <laughs> It is, it is wild how many characters on here have fake identities and lying about themselves. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, what's um, the reverend have? Is he actually not a reverend? Maybe he's just like an imposter. His, his name isn't Forte. It's Forty. Um, well, let's talk about Marion, huh? Let's finish off the, the Van Ryans in the So Mar- we start the episode with Marion getting a sack lunch from mm-hmm. from our girl downstairs. What's her name? Uh, it's the, the it's, chef, whatever her name is. She's great. We all love her. She's got the <laughs> It's Miss Bauer. Yes, Bauer. There's so many names. Apologies. Mm-hmm. So many names. Uh, so she gives she she is bold enough to give Marion her sack lunch to bring to art school or her class. And we see that Aurora Fane, after we get a little class montage, we see that the kids are more talented artists than Marion is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aurora yeah, Fane, not that bad. I they're not that bad. They're, they're, they're definitely as good, if not better, than Marion. Uh, mm-hmm. Aurora, uh, Aurora wants Marion to go to this tennis match because there's a man she wants her to meet. A Morgan. A Mr. Morgan. A Morgan, yep. So we and- get... We well, smash Agnes cut. like clicks to that because she's like, "Oh, I know his mother. She's a good woman. They have money. This would be good for you. Go for it." Marion's like, "Okay." No, okay there's a good, nice exchange where Agnes or Ada says, "Like, man, why aren't you like that about other all the other single men or whatever?" And she's like, "Well, I don't know all their mothers. You know, it's pretty yeah. important." So we Anyways. go to this tennis match, which is a, a big set piece this week in Newport, as we already said. Uh, that's where George meets this young lady. Oh, we're, we're skipping and, over the fact that after her lesson, she helped uh, the, the child of Dashiell Montgomery, by the way. Yeah, which who we met last week. Yeah, what was it? Was it Francis Montgomery? Yeah, it's Francis Montgomery. She she mm-hmm. gives her some words of encouragement, like you'll do better next week with the watercolor. Don't quit. And then, yep. And then when she's leaving work, Dashiell Montgomery says, "Hop on the carriage. We'll give you a ride." And I, she's I like, don't "That's the that. wrong way for me to go." And Dashiell says, I want to go see Aunt Agnes. Yeah. So that happens. And there's a little bit He's more in- of these two worshipping these two for whatever reason. Yeah, because he happens to be in Newport. No reason real given, really given. Yeah, I know he, he explains why, but it's yeah. 
like many things in this show, if you don't like pause it and rewind it and double check it, it's like, okay, there's so many moving characters around this tennis game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see, so we meet this Morgan fella and he is just cocked. He is three sheets to the wind. Yep. He's having a great time, mm-hmm. but he's very clumsy and everybody knows that this is stupid and that uh, our girl Marion, is she's not liking it at all. She tries to get away to talk to Gladys. He finds her and says, what, are you trying to avoid me? And then he's trying to drink two glasses of champagne because he says they're running low and they mm-hmm. just lose him. And then Dashiell comes in and swipes her away. And Oscar and gets a few, a few quips on, uh, in on him, you know, saying like, uh, well, Rora didn't know because he was a man in the suit. And it, until you get him out of it, you don't know what, what's going to happen. And Oscar says he looks like he just wants to be out of his suit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the, I think he shuts down uh, Mr. Morgan, too. Like, you know, with the, the two champagne glasses. Like He, like, taps him on the shoulder and takes one out of his hand. And then yeah. they convince Cousin Dashiell. Well, not Cousin. I like that the, in the previously on the Gilded Age, they make sure to replay the scene like, so we're cousins. No. Not really. They're really leaning into the fact that they're not cousins. So Dashiell and Rora, or not Rora, geez, Marion. Marion. Walk away. They bet on the tennis match. Yep, they bet on what's the gentleman's name? It's uh, it's Dick, uh, Dick something. Sears. Dick Sears. Yeah, of course. How could I forget? No, it, it, it's not Dick Sears. It's Dick Sears. Like, like, it, like this guy seared his. <laughs> it's literally oh, okay. if, you're, if you're to say it in a sentence, that's how it would sound. But his name is Dick Sears. He's he's one of Larry Russell's friends. Uh huh. So he's uh, what, from Harvard. Okay. So he's. Yeah. They bet on him, 50 bucks, and then this is where we get Cousin Dashiell weirdly talking about, if he wins, I'll get you a treat. And Marion's like, oh, all right, sure. <laughs> treat? Yeah. What are you, 40 years old, talking to a 25-year-old about getting him a treat? Mm-hmm. You sure? This is how adults talk to each other? And they have a yeah. nice rapport, you know? Yeah, it's sweet enough. Innocent. And Mr. Morgan shows up again at the, the party that we mentioned where Oscar Van Ryan met uh, Maud and he's still kind of doofy drinking and they just blow him off again. Yeah. That will, I was, I, that the, at the end of the episode at Ward's party. Yeah. I was, I was hoping they'd make the Morgan character just a little more than one note that like maybe he was drinking cause he was nervous and meeting Marion or something like that. And it's like, Oh no, he's just a buffoon. And it's like, no, yeah, we need this. We need a character like this. And if, maybe he'll hang around. Yeah. There's a background maybe, character, some dope. I, could, I think there's room for him to, to show more sides of him than when he's not sure. drinking. I don't need him in this show anymore. <laughs> but if we've taken well, the time... Newport. Yeah, he's very yeah. full of himself. Because he's like, who goes to museums? That's how we know he's a bad person. Cause he, he likes oh, yeah, he's a, he he's a real like drunk. Museums. Yeah. Okay. So and yeah, he, so think, he wants to dance with Mary, and he, he just does not understand that he has lost it. He has no chance. Yeah. And... Dash is like, hey, no, no. Marion's like, I'm already dancing with Dash, so you got to get out of here. Get, you got to go kick rocks too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just I guess give an update on Bertha with the the whole thing with the opera. Uh, it sounds like she really ruffled some feathers there. Mm-hmm. And you know she's talking to McAllister throughout the episode about like you know how to handle this, and they have an important conversation towards the end of the episode where McAllister is letting her know like. Well, you know, I'm on your side, but I also have to align with Aster and then also be there for her if, you know, the other opera doesn't make it and just be her 
you know, confidant when that falls apart. I win all the time. I'm a Callister. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does it in the most ham. He's like, well, I need you. He definitely, like, his voice goes up. He sounds like Goofy a few times. Yeah. Where he's like, well, I always need to win every now and then. Uh, like, what well, state did you come from, Warren McAllister? You're in Rhode Island and Manhattan. Like, Yeah. Um, Nathan Lane, what a ham. Uh, but... He is pulling the strings this episode, Mr. McAllister, because let's get to the Larry of it all, huh? Well, his, all, I mean, yeah, we'll get to his party. His party looks like, I want to go to that party. So well, fun. natural lighting, mm-hmm. organized dancing, drinks I mean, galore. It, it looks like one of those uh, London parties in Poldark that Ross would go to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there's like circus performers. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, McAllister, we had seen, had hooked him up with a gig with Mrs. Blaine. Uh, a widow Susan Blaine. To, yes, to renovate her house. And so we get that this episode. So Larry rolls up with them in tow. And who else is Mrs. Blaine but Broadway superstar Laura Bonanti? And whew, <laughs> hey, man. You're yeah, telling me that we you're not familiar with her? I'm not familiar with her. Well, we, we should go to a Broadway show sometime. She's fantastic. Um, and been in, in a lot of things as well. But you're telling me that Marion is supposed to be endgame eventually for Larry, potentially. And then he's got Laura Benanti to entertain him in the interim as Mrs. Blaine. Sorry, Marion, you lost. <laughs> the game's over. And this is not uh, even a game. This is not a game. This, you know, like, this reminds me of what Julian did in Belgravia. For those that have not watched Belgravia, where uh, the, the one character's like, look, I will not sleep with you because we need to take this slow. And in the very same episode, she sleeps with the guy. Yeah. Yeah. We meet, uh, we meet Susan uh, Blaine, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I want to hire you. It's a gut instinct. Yeah. And then they're talking about this tennis match, tennis match, and Larry's like, why don't you come with me? And Bertha's like, hey, let's pump the brakes on you two. Like, she, she smells it in the air. Yeah, something's up. And then Ward's like, you gotta stop these young people from having fun. <laughs> but she's not that young. <laughs> but she is young enough. Um, so then they go to this tennis match, and after the tennis match, Susan Blaine is like, "Like, what's this? Well, is a great night." But wait, wait, wait. There's there's a whole like you know kind of seduction going on where. You know, she's talking about her history and stuff and letting him know about how she was kind of in this dead marriage for many years. So she's been mm-hmm. very lonely. Um, and that, you know, there's a lot of room for that house to be renovated. So it's all under the pretense that they're working together. But, you know, he mentions the tennis match that his friends from Harvard are, are you know, performing yeah. in Dick Sears. <laughs> and uh, he, he invites her, you know, at 2 o'clock and come around. She's like, come for lunch at 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they go there and they're talking it up. And Marion shows up and she's like, "Hey, Larry." And he's like, "Hey, how's it going?" And then Miss Blaine bunts in and says, "Get out of here, Marion." Or so not, who's not, this? Not, yeah, more so, who's this? Uh, and he she does says, not look. She's forty-four in real life. She does not look forty-four. No, but but Larry just says, "Here's a tip. Uh, <laughs> here's a tip, Marion. Bet on Dick <laughs> Sears." But see uh, ya. And she's like, is that even a real name? Dick Sears. Are we sure that's a, a person as I live and breathe? Um, anyways, though. So, yeah, they go back to the house. And he's like, I should leave. And as you're saying, Dave, Miss Blaine says, hey, you can, you can stick around. 
Yeah. And just just for the for the record, she is two years older than Carrie Coon. Mm-hmm. So there's not much of an age gap. There are peers, no. effectively. Yeah. And not only does he come in for a little, you know, afternoon delight, but he... Because yeah. they do the whole he, thing where they, they close the door behind them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let you know, like... And it's, it's, they do it in the they, well, and they, they, do ki- it in they kiss on too. the and they kiss first. Like the carriage man can see you right there. Like I want, I was expecting like a, a cutaway to the car the guy driving the carriage. Like, whoa! <laughs> dude. Well, the fact that he's staying over is enough. Like the the sure. staff knows. Yeah, someone had to tell the carriage guy like he's not coming back. You, you got to pull away, carriage. Yeah, go on. He'll walk. Yeah, and then he goes home the next morning, and this is where I think Bertha gets a little strange. <laughs> she. Mm. She's, she, like, smells him. Yeah. She's like, what were you up to? Why do you smell like that? And and she, and then in Larry's like, defense, Larry's like, you don't want me to say it, Mom. She's like, you literally smell like a, a French... Uh, you, you have a French scent to you. Let me smell your fingers. <laughs> no, 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 no. It doesn't oh. go that way. Uh, sorry, we just lost a bunch of listeners right there. But either way, though, he comes direct to, to Bertha and says... I did exactly what you think I did, Ma, and I liked it too. Yeah, that, it's so weird. Like, this is the most uncomfortable plot of I think, arguably, aside from any sort of like violence-involved plots that Julian has written, the mm-hmm. fact that we have a whole scene where a young man, an adult, an adult man, is t- basically telling his adult mother, yeah, that he has had physical relations with a woman. And he's like, Twice Mom, you can't stop me. <laughs> yeah, because he's a grown adult. And, and on top of that, too, like, he makes a good point. Like, look, do you want me dilly-dallying with women around the town? Because then there will be a scandal. Like, all these win- young women will, you know, have a reputation all of a sudden. Or they'll be expecting, you know, marriage proposals from me. This is, like, an easy out. <laughs> this woman's well, a and, widow. And then she's... And, and I'm working and for Bertha says, well, you know, like, don't men... Men do things like this. But not with women twice, twice their age, and he's like, "Yeah, they do it with prostitutes." <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do that. I, ain't like, like I don't that. do that. I just do widows. My name's Larry. I don't do that. Uh, what a like! All right, Larry. <laughs> and then I they mean, go to the party at Ward's, and they're hanging out there. And he says, "Hey, Marion, what's going on?" And then uh, Miss Blaine shows up, like, "Hey." Get out of here, Marion. Uh, and Marion's like, all right, fine. I'll go hang out with my fake cousin. That's the, that's the funny thing. Marion just, is just more than happy to be like, okay, all right, have fun with him. Yeah, you do <laughs> you. Like, I, I don't want anything to do with you and your weird little you know, cougar friend. I mean, hats off to, to Larry. You know, He's just doing the work. He's just doing the now, job. Can, can I ask the question? I'm going to ask yeah. the question that we all are thinking, or at least the male fans are thinking. Mm-hmm. This is Larry's first time. You think? I think so. Okay. I think this man, that's why he's so smitten. Because he's like, yeah. I'm, I'm living life. Hamina, hamina, hamina. And Laura, what, hey, could, there are worse ways to, to have that happen than Laura, Laura Benanti. Yeah. A rich widow with a giant house that you're working on. Also, his sketches I mean, are great too. Great artist. Man, I think they're setting this. I think they're setting both Marion and Larry up to have like clean circumstantial breaks that make them bigger people, but set them up with, for each other. 
with much older people. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know the the twist will be, I bet you. Let's let's, let's call the shot now. He's going to pair off Dashiell and Blaine. That will be the the ter- the twist. Ah, uh, I can, I guess so. They're closer in age. Um, but you can already see that there's a bit of possessiveness though from Miss Blaine around. Uh, Larry yeah, yeah. At the party. Maybe, yeah, maybe she's a little cuckoo bananas. We'll find that out in the coming Let's weeks. See. Also, I did not realize, you know, the actor who plays Larry, we know him from Poldark. Uh, what's his name? Harry, uh, Rich- Harry Richardson. Richardson. Harry Richardson. Australian. Didn't realize. So we've watched him in two shows. He has yet to speak in his Australian accent. Yeah. Anyways. Nice hat in this episode, too. He has his little... Yeah. Going to a sporting event hat. Gladys had a hat in this episode that was like, sheesh, money on the screen. Love to see it. Hey, she's out in society now. She can wear whatever hat she wants. Yeah. But there's one more thing we have to cover. Because this party that Mr. McAllister is throwing, it is for uh, the Winter Newport, right? No, oh, yeah. It's, it's the new Newport, neighbors. but it's new neighbors, the Wintertons. Before we get and to that party, we did skip over the fact that after this conversation between Bertha and Larry about him and our new friend, mm-hmm. George appears, surprises yeah. Bertha, and there's a scene where those two start getting it on in the middle of the hall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good which for made them. me go like, All right, oh, Julian was in a mood when he wrote this episode. Absolutely. He was a little turned on. I mean, you got a handsome guy like George Russell right there. Use and Carrie Coon's a, a knockout, too. Oh, yeah. They're, they're yeah. a very compatible couple. And it's like you do, they have, you know, shown their 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 sensual side last season a little bit. But sometimes mm-hmm. they're, they're both so caught up in this world of, like, destroying union labor and, yeah. and creating mm-hmm. a new opera that you do need these moments of them, like, being intimate because it's like oh okay they're humans their blood is red and yep. they love each other so like that's that's how we get George the Newport and mm-hmm. then we get to this party with the new neighbors the Wintertons yeah and so yeah Winterton has old money in the cottage there uh huh and yeah so he's a widower who's getting married after a short engagement is what we mm-hmm. heard learn and uh he also has a box uh, at the Met. He has a box uh, at the Academy, and he may want a box at the Met as well. So he mm-hmm. has lots and lots of money. Uh, and so, isn't that funny? When later this episode, we find out who is to be Miss Winterton. I lost my mind. I was like, oh my God. This is, I think, a great moment for Julian of writing. Like, I don't think he's done anything like this before, like a, a, a comeback like this. Yeah. It is Miss Turner, who will now be Miss Winterton. And for those who can't recall, Miss Turner is the one who tried to seduce George by getting in his bed naked. And then and George said, nah, go, I'm good. Nah, get out of here. Uh, and that's another scene where George looks shredded. And, and she looks good, but he's, man, get him in a bedroom more often. Uh, and so... She got uh, turned away, wrote a recommendation letter for her, and now, for all we know, she is going to be rich. And they say, welcome to America. And then we see uh, Bertha's like, that's our old lady's maid. And Gladys and and Larry are like, that's something, isn't it? 
Like, what do you have to say about this pa? And George is like, well, I guess I have nothing to say. Mm-hmm. And Where Bertha like, says, Bro. we'll decide what to say if they say anything at all. Next week on the Gilded Age. We know she needs those boxes to fill up the Met, so that she's going to need Miss Turner. <laughs> or, now, this, I think, sorry, is a really, truly interesting dynamic from Julian because Bertha is new money. Mm-hmm. And now we have Turner, who is below Bertha. Now yeah. we have someone trying to out Bertha Bertha. It, you wonder when uh, Julian made this call to, to bring her back. Because oh, yeah. That's I think it's a thing where he immaculate. may have recognized... Yeah, what he he may have recognized what he had in her last year because you could see she could play ball really hard last year, but the fact of her circumstance of being a downstairs person ultimately limited how much she could really do to throw uh, obstruct the, their their livelihood. So, mm-hmm. masterful play, great play, Julian. great twist, love it. Great, so much on the line, so much changes it with it, with it being her. This episode, I, I think we've covered everything that's in it. Among one of Julian's best written episodes, I think, of his shows that we've seen. At least in terms yeah, of plotting. He, he throws us into the deep end. We had a, little, a bit of exposition last week. handful of scenes here with a handful of small characters. But mm. all the heavy hitters have something. Even Marion has like the goofy subplot of avoiding a drunk guy who's going, hitting on her. Yeah. Which is something for Marion. Because to be, to be fair, I mean, the whole uh, opera subplot... It's really just a do-over of the Aster plot from last year. You know, Bertha trying to get acceptance is just a different mm-hmm. version of that. So to see these new kind of romances and stuff sparking uh, and just people bouncing off each other, it's more exciting for me in terms mm-hmm. of like getting me invested in the season for sure. So, yeah, great episode. Yeah. And we got power rankings. We're already at we an do. hour now, I think, Dave. Or 53. We're, we're yeah, no, we're not quite out of hour. We're good. Okay. Why don't you start right. us off this week, Corey? Who's going down? I got Oscar at number three. He gets so yeah, shut out by George. It is there's no coming back from that. It's just over. So definitively, I love it. <laughs> yeah, he gets like spanked. He gets like his hands pulled down and he's spanked. Like he's treated like a boy uh-huh. here. Yeah. To the point that he, he goes like, home and just flops onto the couch. And he waves at Gladys and she looks away from him. And the dude still wears the black gloves, the dark shades, and the top. It's like, who? you're not Dracula from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Get out of here, man. You're Oscar Van Um. <laughs> anyways, uh, number two going down. I got Morgan. Uh, so do I. <laughs> dude doesn't know how to keep his act together. He's got to stop sipping. Yeah. Uh, if you, yeah kept, but I mean, you're not a good match for Marion because you don't like museums. You don't like culture. You're a mm-hmm. dope. But yep. if you were in such a lush, you might have been something. You might have stood a chance. Yeah. Well, number one going down, I got Armstrong. I got Armstrong, too. Look at this. Lockstep. Here, here we are, baby. <laughs> uh, she's just pleading for her job, man. And it, it's, it's hard times a, for her. And as, as Agnes literally says to her, your fate is in your hands. Like, why are you yeah. complaining? Because you don't want to deal with a black person? Like, Swallow your pride and be progressive. Yeah. Okay, come on, woman. Learn. Have you learned Sorry, nothing from Julian Fellows? You have to be progressive when you want, you know, when the plot has to move forward. Absolutely. Well, Dave. Rough week. Who's, go- who's going up, man? Number three going up, I got Peggy. She okay. got her job back. She got to see TTF, our man, mm-hmm. back in the picture. Everyone yeah. seems to be totally okay with what the controversy that she almost lost her livelihood over. And mm-hmm. she's doing a good turn for Armstrong. 
She's helping her, her, her pal downstairs with the sewing. And, you know, there's nowhere to go but up. It seems as though, like, I said it last week and I'm going to repeat it. You know, like, we started on a, a we're going up. Good yeah. job, Peggy. Well, I have an honorable mention uh, for Dick Sears uh, because Larry <laughs> says, hey, he's just my friend. And then Marion takes a, a mile further and says, well, Dick Sears knows Larry. Maybe you should bet on him. And then he comes through and wins. What a guy. Okay. Uh, number three, though, I got George Russell. The, just for okay. the smackdown he lays on Oscar. It is so good. Uh, yeah, he earned it just from that one scene, man. Well, I got I got George Russell, too, for the same thing. Yeah. And the fact that he's like, how do we pay off this union buster? Mm. Or rather, this union president. Not a union buster. George is a union buster. And yeah. we get to see him have a little intimate moment with Bertha. Like, oh, wait a minute. You are human, too. That's true. He does get he does get it on for a second there. Well, number two, she comes on comes in like a house on fire. Uh, Miss Blaine. Okay. Thank you. She, I mean, because she literally, I think even last week when McAllister alludes to her, you have a sense like there's something going on here with a widower wanting something to do with Larry, and she makes no bones about it pretty much and gets the job done. She gets yeah. it done, man. And she's got a good hand working on her house. So she she was really winning. Yeah. With that in mind, I got Larry at number one. Larry's absolutely at number one. Congratulations. How, I mean, we don't <laughs> even need to say anything. Larry is Larry number one. He gets a job. He's like second job ever. Yep. And then he and then he's betting his boss. Yeah, and then they, also McAllister comes to him and says, you know, there's someone else who may be looking for you to work in their house, too. He's like, is it a widow? <laughs> yeah, he's just racking them up, man. Just putting numbers on the board. McAllister's like, helping him out. He, his life is literally like a porn. It's like, hi, <laughs> hi, ma'am. I would love to do redo your house. <laughs> the, Ju- the Julian should have done like a... Like a little... <laughs> yeah. You know, waka sax. waka guitar. <laughs> And then we would have gotten something. That would have been perfect. Yeah, would have been something. The only losers are us, though, um, because we don't get to see anything. And we know for fans of Poldark, they're pining to see more of Harry Richardson. Yeah, because he, he looks better now. Come on, Julian. Give us more than a door closing. By the way, I just realized the actor who plays Oscar Van Ryan, Blake Ritson, he's older than uh, George Russell by two years. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Stop it, Yeah, Julian. but he's supposed to... He, he's significantly younger in that. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. All well, right. That's, that's this week. That was a good one. Yep. And we'll do it again next week. Um, Dave, have you been watching anything else? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, on your recommendation that we were both mm-hmm. uh, together over the weekend, you asked me had I yeah. seen this week's Golden Bachelor, and oh, no, yeah. I had not. So I made sure to watch that Sunday. And we're we're getting near the this I I I feel like our guy Gary mm-hmm. is uh he's in over his head. <laughs> I haven't watched the whole season, but he cries, and it's so he cries effective. in every episode. Yeah, I really felt bad for him. I felt at the end he was just going to say, "Hey Jesse, can you can you give out the last rose? I can't do it, man." He's like, I, Poor guy. "I'm just in love with all these women," <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh he's boy! So surprised <laughs> at himself and the situation he's in. Uh, but it is yeah. a it is a delight of a reality show. A nice change of pace. 
Yeah, I did like the child asking him, what's your five-year plan? <laughs> we like, don't get an alive. answer from the 72-year-old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good stuff. What about you? And yeah, no, I haven't had much time to, to watch stuff either, but I will say, Dave, we did do a 5K over the weekend uh, for uh, the Vicky Soda 5K in Connecticut. It's one of the, mm-hmm. the bigger ones here, at least for our hometown. And it was all for education. I just want to yep. give the note of like, Support your teachers. It was it was nice to know that our money was going towards a, a good cause, you know, just mm-hmm. education and uh, good community good foundation. Weather. You know, mm-hmm. for those that are unaware, Vicky Soto was the one of the teachers who passed in the Sandy Hook shooting in ten years, eleven years ago. Ten, eleven years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, from our hometown, uh, uh, you know, actually a cousin of one of our old friends. So mm-hmm. you know, it's very close to home, and this foundation is great. Good yeah. cause. It's a great day. The weather was beautiful. We hung out <laughs> for a while. It's uh yeah, it was a nice event. But good time had by all. Yeah, you know we need more teachers out there. With and that's what it goes through scholarships. So we have less Marians out there teaching. That's the that's yeah. the real takeaway. <laughs> Qualified teachers. Qualified teachers. Which, by the way, one last note on Marion. What is her work schedule? Because last week they said Thursdays, and this week yeah, and this week they said Friday. She had she couldn't go on Friday. Right, and she's like, well, there's a holiday, so I don't have to worry about Friday and Monday. It's like, wait, when did your scheduled watercoloring start to take up every day of the week? <laughs> uh, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Julian was too worried about horny people this week to care about Mary- Marion's schedule. Exactly. All right. Well, you know where to catch us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, X, the lordsgrantham at gmail.com. If you want to hit us up directly, you can slip into our DMs as well. You can also find us at the Lords of Grantham Lounge on our, through our Patreon. We will have some bonus content there. Uh, and you can find all our episodes on our Podbean website or every, wherever you get your, your podcast. Leave a five-star rating review if you so choose. And we'll see you next week on the pod. Thank you. Yeah.